On today's Walk and Talk, I have the honor of chatting with Dr. Vivek Murthy. Among his many incredible accomplishments, he was our nation's 19th Surgeon General, and he's the author of the bestseller, Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. It's an incredibly important conversation around people, loneliness, and the importance of human connection. So lace up your sneakers and let's go. The role of the Surgeon General is not very well understood, even though the, the physician itself is, is generally known and recognized. Uh, but the role falls into two categories. So number one, and this is what's most commonly understood, is that the Surgeon General is responsible for ensuring that the public has good scientific-based information so people can make decisions about their health and the health of their families. That's where the role of the Surgeon General publishing reports on tobacco come from. That's where the, the warning labels on cigarettes and bottles of alcohol come from. But there's another role that Surgeon General plays, which is to oversee the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. This is one of the uniformed services in the U.S. government, and it's comprised of doctors and nurses and physical therapists. And those um, members of the, of the Commission Corps serve in public health roles each and every day, but during emergencies, we deploy them to help shore up public health and medical infrastructure. So during COVID-19, for example, many members of, uh, of our Public Health Service Commission Corps are deployed around the country helping in nursing homes, helping to run testing centers and in other capacities to support public health. It's so interesting because this is such an important role and uh, such an important team that I feel flies under the radar for so many people. Well, it really does. And we often used to say when I was Surgeon General that the, the Public Health Service Commission Corps is one of the best kept secrets in the U.S. government, but it's not a, it shouldn't be a secret. It should be a resource that everyone knows about. So it is, um, I think it's in times of crisis like this, when we're in the midst of a pandemic or when we're experiencing another disaster, you know, that has public health implications that we recognize, gosh, we need more resources. We need more um, professionals who can go out there and support our communities when it comes to public health. Um, but in between, I think it, it doesn't get often enough attention or it certainly doesn't get the support that, that it requires. So somewhere along the lines, and uh, share with me kind of when and how, but you began, as I understand it, to recognize loneliness as a thread that kind of weaves itself through so many of our public health challenges and our wellness and our fitness and all of the things that are that seem to be plaguing us do i have that kind of do i kind of put that in the right context that loneliness is a bit of a thread winding through all of that how did that kind of first surface for you yeah so this was an unexpected uh, surprise for me i had began my tenure as surgeon general thinking that i would focus on the issues that would not surprise you, issues that were real public health concerns like obesity and substance use disorders. But what I realized when I began my tenure and when I started with a listening door to try, you know, to go to small towns, big cities across America and to hear what people needed, is I realized that there was a story behind the story, that behind these accounts of addiction and struggles with depression, and concerns about chronic illness that I was hearing about were these threads of loneliness where people would say things like, I feel I have to carry all of these burdens on my own. 
or I feel if I disappear tomorrow, nobody would even notice, or I feel absolutely invisible. And hearing this again and again from parents, from students in college, from people in remote fishing villages in Alaska, hearing them from members of Congress as well, behind closed doors, it struck me that there was something deeper happening here. And what it reminded me of was actually my own personal experiences, uh, struggling with loneliness as a child, and also it reminded me of my experiences in the hospital, taking care of patients and being surprised when I entered the hospital at how many of our patients were in fact struggling with loneliness. And so it, through this, I came to realize that loneliness is far more common than I thought. But I came, as I dug into the research behind loneliness and came to understand the, the biological pathways through, it affect, through which it affects our body, I came to realize that it's an important contributing factor to so many of the public health challenges that we're seeing today, including violence, including substance use disorders, including depression and anxiety. And if we don't recognize that, then that means that we're not addressing an important source of the problem and we're never gonna be able to fully get our arms around how to build a healthy society. You talk a lot about, I love your book, which we're going to talk about more, but I do feel like it hits, your book hits the perfect balance, at least for me, between research and anecdotes and your personal stories and other people's stories. And it just brings this whole thing so much to life and the way loneliness touches so many people. And I think we can't talk about how widespread it is often enough. So we did a study about a year and a half ago, and 72% of the women in our cohort, which is about 2,500 women, acknowledge that they regularly experience loneliness. I mean, those are some really big numbers. So I guess the question is, like, why aren't we talking about it? What's the, the shame or the reason that people, do they not, how am I putting this? Do they not recognize that what they're feeling is loneliness or do they know that it's loneliness and they just have some reluctance to share it and define it in that way? Yeah, it's such a good question, George. And it's the right question because so many people struggle with loneliness but suffer in silence thinking that they're the only ones. And this is true for me as well. You know, as a child, when I was struggling with loneliness in school, I felt profoundly ashamed of it. And I didn't tell anyone, including my parents, even though I knew my parents loved me unconditionally and accepted me. But I didn't say anything because I was embarrassed. I thought that if I was lonely, that somehow I was broken inside, that I was deficient in some way, that I wasn't likable. None of that really felt good and it made me uncomfortable. So I didn't say anything. And, you know, when we look at other people around us as well, it's not easy to see that we're, that they're lonely because here's the interesting and, and I think important thing about loneliness is that it's the great masquerader. It doesn't look like a person sitting alone in the corner of a room at a party. Loneliness often can present as irritability and anger. It can look like withdrawal. It can look like depression. It can look like anxiety. We all react to our loneliness in different ways. And so when we look at the world around us for that reason, and also because people often put forward their best face, especially on social media, it can look like all the world is living a happy life and that other people are connected and doing well. But we know from surveys that have been done in the United States and around the world 
that large percentages of the population are in fact struggling with loneliness. So if you are lonely out there, what I want people to, to, to hear very clearly is that you're not the only one, that there are many who are struggling with the same. But second, I want you to know that it is not a sign that you're broken or evidence that you are somehow deficient. But loneliness is in fact a, a natural signal that our body sends to us, just like hunger or thirst, when we are lacking something that we need for survival, which is social connection. And that's how important social connection is. It's something that we've evolved over thousands of years to need for our survival. This is a great segue to talk a little bit about the types of social connections that we need, because I thought that was such an interesting construct. Um, and I've never really looked at it that way, even though I personally have absolutely experienced this. So in the book and through your research, you have identified three different types of social connections that we really need to feel at our best. And I think that's really important too, because people will look at their lives and say, I'm in this wonderfully committed, supportive relationship, and I still feel lonely. Or I have this career that I love, but I still feel lonely. Can you talk a little bit about what those three types of social connections are? Absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought this up because if we don't understand this, then we can unfairly assess blame in our lives or feel guilt uh, when the people around us are lonely. Uh, but one thing, so there are three types of loneliness that I speak about in this book. So one is intimate loneliness. And that's the loneliness that we experience when we, when we lack close connections and confidants, people who know us almost better than we know ourselves, people with whom we can be really open and honest and we don't have to put on airs. That could be a spouse. It could be a really, really close friend. But there's another kind of loneliness called relational loneliness. And that's when we lack a friendship circle, people with whom we can do things on evenings and weekends, uh, friends who we can uh, take vacations with. And then the third is collective loneliness. And that's when we lack a community, a group of people with whom we have a shared ide identity or common interest. That could be uh, a church or a temple group. That could be an organization that you're a part of that does community service. It could be a sense of affiliation and mission that you have with the people in your workplace. But when we lack connection in any of these three realms, we can feel lonely. And when you understand that, then you can understand why somebody can be in a perfectly fulfilling marriage, but still feel lonely if they lack friends or if they lack a community. They may feel relational or collective loneliness. It's not an indictment uh, of their spouse. Uh, and so conversely, if you have a partner who's feeling lonely, don't assume that that's because you're not providing them with what they need or your relationship is deficient in some way. Um, it could be that there are other connections that they need in their life that are missing. So did, does everybody need all three of those buckets filled for them, for themselves? So we all do need all three buckets filled, but, but we may fill those buckets in different ways. Like some people, for example, may need only one very close friend in their life uh, who really gets them and understands them to feel like they have the intimate connections they need. Others may need several. Uh, some people may find uh, the friendship circle that they need with just a handful 
uh, of individuals, whereas others may need a much broader circle. So while we all need these three types of connection, we don't necessarily need the same number of friends in each circle. And that's important, and it's partly what you see in terms of the difference between introverts and extroverts as well. Like the, you know, there's, a, I think, a common misconception that introverts are uh, by nature uh, more lonely. That's not the case. Introverts and extroverts both need social connection. Where they differ is in how much connection they need and how they actually like to seek out that connection. So introverts, and I consider myself an introvert, you know, introverts like to, to interact with people typically in smaller groups or one-on-one. -on -one. They need more time uh, in terms of solitude uh, than an extrovert may need. Um, but they all need, all introverts and extroverts, these three types of connections in their life. Uh, and think about it, the collective uh, loneliness, the, uh, the community, in fact, that we need, that's what helps us feel like we're part of something. Uh, and as human beings, I think we, we all want to feel uh, that we're part of something, whether that's a small group or a large group. Um, so I find these three helpful as we think about loneliness in our own lives. That community piece, that sort of larger circle, it seems to me that that just harkens back to some ancient sense of your, and I, t I actually talk about this exact idea in my TED Talk, that our ancestors were safer walking in the woods with their pack than they were walking in the woods by themselves. So of course, on some level, we're going to feel better when we're surrounded by people who we trust. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And that's and when you understand that, which you so clearly do, and you've spoken about it before, Joyce. When you understand that, then you recognize that this connection that we seem to need in our lives, this, these relationships with others, that this is not new. It's not a feature of modern society. It's how we've evolved over thousands and thousands of years. And over that time, we've, because trusted relationships were so pivotal to our survival, because we depended on other people to keep watch for predators, to share food, to ensure we none of us starved from an unstable food supply, to, to help with childcare and, and raising families, because we relied so deeply on other people, we had to develop the tools to discern who was trustworthy, to be able to read not just the content of someone's speech, but their body language uh, and their facial expressions to know if they were being sincere or not. We evolved to interpret all of this and to need all of that in order to understand whether we could connect with somebody or not. When you think about it in that context, you start to realize why building a relationship with somebody or maintaining a relationship purely by texting back and forth can be challenging for, uh, for human beings that evolve to need a full set of input. Uh, to really understand and connect with other human beings. Uh, it's why I think the physical distancing that so many of us are experiencing during the COVID-19 pandemic is so challenging because human touch is also so important and seeing people face-to-face -face is, is important for, for connecting. But, but with that said, uh, I think what we also can take away from this is that if we recognize how important these relationships are to, to our survival, um, we, we also recognize two other things. One is that our response to loneliness is really a fear and stress response because thousands of years ago when we were separated from our tribe, our survival chances just dropped and we knew that. And so we went into a fight or flight state. We were in an, a state of hypervigilance where we shifted our attention inward 
and where we our threat level overall went up. So we were more suspicious of activity around us because we wanted to make sure we weren't missing a threat. But transport that into modern society and think about the fact that when you're chronically lonely, if you're, even though our circumstances are different, our nervous system is largely the same. And so if we're focused increasingly on ourselves, if we're more suspicious of people around us, that actually makes it harder to connect with other people. And this is why you see loneliness can actually become a downward spiral, because the lonelier we get, the more we can push others away, the more um, we focus on ourselves, which often turns other people away, and the more our self-confidence erodes and we start to believe we're lonely because we're not likable. And we need something to break that cycle. And that's why I ultimately delved into this subject and wrote this book is because I was encountering so many people around the country who were asking similar questions. They were saying, you know, I feel like I'm lacking connection in my life, but my, I'm super busy and I don't know how to find time uh, for other people. What should I do? I was hearing from parents who were saying, I'm worried if technology is actually making my child more connected, or maybe less connected, and what do I do? And I was encountering all these people who knew that they were lonely, but just felt ashamed about it and felt alone and wanted to know what they could do as well. You quote, and it's such a, a tiny moment in your book, but you quote a woman named Rachel who is a truck driver. So by, by definition, she spends a lot of time by herself and she relates these feelings of loneliness. And she says, is there something wrong with me? And I think that just goes to that point of so many people, whether they're going to articulate that feeling or not. And then to, to the, something you said a little bit ago, it's like lonely people tend to get prickly. That's how I phrase it. And then prickly people, other people don't want to be around them. So as you say, it's that kind of spiral. So the big question is, well, I've got so many questions, right? I don't even know where to start. I've got so many questions. But because uh, I want to talk a little bit about social media. But where, where do you start to untangle that? Aside from putting a name on it and saying, there's nothing wrong with you. If you're experiencing loneliness, you're not alone. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. So we just start by telling people that, right? But then how do we, how do we encourage ourselves or the people we care about to move outside of that kind of spiral? Yeah, so it, it, this is a good question, Joyce. And, and what I will say is that sometimes it's not easy to think ourselves out of this box. Uh, mm-hmm. Like we can't just say, well, the rational thing to do is X, Y, Z, so we should we should do it, or we should not be concerned about what other people think and just move forward. That's not always easy to do because we're we're not purely cerebral beings; we're emotional uh, beings as well. And so, part of I think what we have to do is is think about how can we create opportunities in our life that will almost serve as a backdoor out of loneliness, or that will create enough structure so that we have human interactions that are not you know, in a high pressure situation, but that will ultimately strengthen our sense of connection over time. And there are a couple of ways we can do that. So one is we can look for opportunities to engage in service. Service, it turns out, is one of the most powerful antidotes to loneliness. And because you understand the biology uh, and the evolution behind, you know, our, our need for connection, you'll understand that those tendencies that we have to turn inward, to be more suspicious of others, to 
uh, experience an erosion of self-esteem, those actually are directly um, countered by service. Because what service does is it allows us to shift our focus from ourselves to someone else in the context of a positive interaction. But it also reaffirms for us that we have value to bring to the world. And it's, again, one of those unexpected, simple, but powerful tools for strengthening connection. The second, and, it, and I should also mention that when we think about service, sometimes we think, gosh, I've got to go and find an organization that I can sign up with and spend many hours a week with them. Service doesn't have to look like that, although it could look like volunteering with an organization. So you, service that you render to others could be picking up the phone to call a friend who might be struggling and, you know, and you're worried about them. It could be checking on a neighbor uh, who might be worried about going to the grocery store uh, because they're, they're older and they may be concerned about their risk you know, of, of acquiring COVID-19 and having complications. It could be even offering a friend who you know is struggling to telework and to homeschool their kids, offering them five or 10 minutes where you could just virtually babysit and entertain their children so that they could sit down and just take a moment and breathe. These are simple acts of service that can be extraordinarily powerful. But a couple other things I wanna mention that can help in this moment is, second is to put time aside each day, even if it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes, to reach out to people that you love. It could be as simple as calling someone to say, hey, I was thinking about you, I wanna know how you're doing. It could be video conferencing uh, with a relative uh, just to check in. Um, these are, it might seem like very little time, but that is one of the, the great secrets about addressing loneliness uh, is that you don't need actually a lot of time to feel a deep sense of connection to others. But what you do need is some time, and which brings me to the last point, which is it has to be high quality time. So in addition to serving others, putting time aside on a daily basis for other people, it turns out that the quality of our time matters a great deal. And this is important because even if you don't have a single minute more to spend with people than you already do, if you can eliminate distraction when you're talking to them, if you can avoid checking your phone, uh, being on email, refreshing your social media feed, Googling questions as they come up, watching the news in the background, things that we all do, things that I have done during conversations with others, and I'm not proud of it, but if you can avoid doing that, what you do is you dramatically increase the quality of the conversation. And Joyce, if you can think, and if all of you can think for a moment about a conversation you've had in the past with someone, when they were fully present with you, when they were listening deeply to what you were saying, when you were able to share openly with them, you know just how extraordinarily powerful it can be to be in the presence of someone who's fully there and five minutes of that kind of conversation is much more powerful than 30 minutes of distracted conversation. That's why as we think about how to build connection, even as we think about how to serve others, it's worth remembering that one of the greatest gifts that we can give other people is the gift of our full attention, and it feels good for both of us. These are all simple but powerful ways through service, through the time we spend with others, the quality of that time that we can start to build connection with others and we can do so in a relatively low risk way. So two thoughts around that. The first is I think it bears emphasizing that this is one of those things where I don't think you can wait until you feel like it. So if you are someone who suffers from loneliness, as many, many people do, 
I don't think you can sit around and wait until you feel like reaching out or feel like making those social connections. It's one of those situations where the action has to go first. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that's such a good point, uh, Joyce. And, and what you're, the point you're making, I think, is so important because we actually apply that principle to other areas of our life. Right? We say you shouldn't wait till you throw out your back to exercise to strengthen your core. Right? We say, well, if we exercise ahead of time, then maybe we won't throw out our back. You know? And in a similar way, I think we can consider loneliness and social connection in a, in, in a, in a comparable context. Because if we recognize that we're all at risk for loneliness at some point in our lives, because our circumstances will change you know, then, and life happens and relationships evolve, if we recognize that we're all at risk, then we can start building in uh, the, the, the critical blocks uh, for strengthening connection in our life. We can start building in the practices, the patterns, the small time with people, the, the practice of focusing on others, the acts of service that we bring to our everyday life, whether it's at home or work. We can start doing these things right now. But the other reason I think it's important to do this is not only to, to avoid the feelings and pain of loneliness, but also because what I realized in the writing of this book was that social connection is actually a performance enhancer, that it enables us to do more and to be more, whether we're with family, whether we're in the workplace, or whether our children are performing in school. And that's another way in which I think we should look at this, is that when we have and build strong social connections in our life, that it enriches how we show up in life. Um, and I should say that in addition to, and there's actually interesting data around this, you know, like we know, for example, that when people are more connected in the workplace, that they tend to be more engaged, that their productivity is greater, they're more creative, and retention is better in the workplace. We know kids uh, do better as well in terms of their academic outcomes, but also in terms of their health uh, when they enjoy strong social connections. But I'll draw your attention to one last thing here, which I think is exceedingly important. Um, you know, in all of my, my travels and conversations with people around the country, I have met very few people who think that the state of our dialogue as a country and the state of our politics is healthy. And I think that has in part to do with our relationships, because as our connections with each other have frayed in communities, as people have become less tethered to their neighborhood and their community and more attached to a narrow group of people who think like them and have their similar experiences who they can connect with online. What's happened is that we have found it harder and harder uh, to dialogue with each other and to truly listen to each other. And that in turn makes it hard to come together as a community or as a country and take on big problems, whether those problems are healthcare or climate change or economic inequality. And so one of the things I realized as I listened to people and delved into the research around loneliness is that relationship is the foundation of dialogue. We don't build bridges with others by throwing people with different views into a room and asking them to hash out common ground. The way we bring people together is we build relationship first, because when we do that, we start to establish connection and trust. When you have a connection with somebody, you can listen to them. When you can listen to them, you can actually have, a, have dialogue. When you have dialogue, that's when you can actually address difficult issues. So that's why I, 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 the reason I focused on this issue of 
social connection after I finished my time as Surgeon General is because I looked back on everything I had worked on at substance use disorders and violence. I looked at the concern parents had for how their kids were doing. I looked at the challenges we faced with chronic illness, but also the struggles employers talked about facing in the workplace. And I realized that one common thread at the root of so much uh, of these issues was that was human connection, was the idea that when we strengthen human connection, we enhance our health, our performance, and our fulfillment. And that's why human connection is the foundation on which we build everything else. It seems to me that one of the things that has hampered our ability to form those important connections is that we've all made ourselves so unbelievably busy. We're living in a culture of overwhelming busyness. And from everything you're saying, forming, forging those relationships takes time and attention. And I'm wondering, and we really do have to wrap it up, even though I could talk to you for another three hours, but I wonder if you see our current situation dealing with COVID, dealing with less travel, less busy, less everything, as possibly a little bit of the silver lining of this is that because we're slowing down, maybe we're having the space to start having those conversations and forging those relationships. Are you seeing any of that? Do you see that as a silver lining, maybe? I see that absolutely as a silver lining, but I think the question is up to us about whether we choose to allow ourselves to drift further and further into loneliness as we physically separate from each other, which I worry would cause a social recession with consequences just as important as economic recession that may be in front of us. Or we could go down a different path, which is a path of social revival. We could use this as an opportunity to step back and ask ourselves, are we living our lives the way we want to? Are we prioritizing people? And we could recommit to the relationships in our life. And part of that is making choices about where we spend our time. You know, our world does tell us that to be, to have meaning and work, that we need to acquire one of three things, wealth, power, or fame. And we hold up people who've acquired those and say, look, they've made it. Uh, and the translation is that their lives are meaningful. But the reality, the truth, is that our meaning and worth as human beings comes from a much more fundamental, intrinsic place. It comes from our ability to give and to receive love. And we do that most tangibly through our relationships. That's what we should be teaching our children. That's the lesson and the, the, the key that we should be seeking to remember in our own lives. And if we remember that, I actually think that our pursuit of so many of the things that we spend time on may shift. In my own life, I know that I have pursued work and other uh, quote-unquote achievements because I felt that's what I needed to do uh, to quote-unquote be successful. But that came often at the expense of time with family and friends. And that represents a gap between my stated values, which were to prioritize people, and my lived values, which ended up being prioritizing work. I want to close that gap. And I think that for many of us, this is an opportunity to reassess our lives to prioritize people, and to take a giant step forward in building the people-centered life and the people-centered society that I believe we were designed uh, to live in. 
Oh, it's such a wonderful place to end this conversation. So thank you. If people want more of your wisdom and want to find you online, the book, I will uh, put it in the start and also put it in the link, but it is called Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. And if people want to find you on social media, are there social media channels you hang out on? Well, yes, uh, you know, I, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook as well. You're welcome to find me there or at my website, which is vivekmurthy.com. And you can sign up there for our, our mailing list where we're looking to pull together stories, beautiful stories that people have been sending us from around the world as they've been reading the book about how they built a more connected life. And we're looking to share that now uh, with the world. Perfect. Thank you so very, very much for taking time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation.